trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Morning. Uh, for those of you who know us, we, uh, our family moved here about 10 months ago from California, and we have just felt so welcomed, so loved. There have been so many people that have helped us move, that have had us over for dinner. Uh, it got to a point, in fact, I talked to Melinda Rue, and if you don't know Melinda Rue, she's a fantastic woman. And I said to her, I said, all these people are wanting to do these things. I said, what's their angle? She goes, oh, honey, welcome to Southern Hospitality. I said, well, if that's what that is, I am not against it. But we are truly grateful and thankful for y'all. And uh, you could tell I'm actually working on my y'alls. And believe it or not, in the 10 months that I've been here, only two people have said to me, oh, bless your heart. So I'm, I'm doing pretty, pretty good there. And I'm pleased to announce that after a lot of prayer and discernment, our family has decided, well, my son has decided for us, that we are officially Georgia Bulldog fans. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Ross, no roll tide. Uh, many of you probably say you could end the sermon right there and you did a pretty good job, but we've got some work to do today. We've uh, had a summer series going through the book of Proverbs called Sacred Sound Bites. And I do, I love reading the book of Proverbs. However, I find myself reading it when I've made rather unwise decisions in my life. For example, in my early 20s, I worked at my aunt and uncle's company, and I would go to the bank and do the deposits and get the petty cash for the company. And on this particular day, I came out, and there was a man who kind of came up rather abruptly to me, and he said, I, I was in town for a convention selling some jackets. I still have some left over. I got to go catch a flight, but I will sell them to a discount, but I really got to go. So I look at the jackets, and Christmas is just right around the corner, so I'm thinking, great gifts for my parents. They're leather, they're Versace, they would never buy these, so I'm thinking, this is going to be great. I go back in the bank, no, I didn't use the petty cash from the company, and I pull $500 from my account. Well, for a 20-year-old who's in college, that's a lot of money. So I come back out, I pay the man, and he takes off in a hurry, right? He's got to go to the airport. However, as I watched him drive away, I noticed that he turned right instead of left going to the airport. And as I began to inspect the jackets a little bit more, I realized, oh, these are fake. In fact, a few months after Christmas, they ended up changing colors. So it was a rather unwise purchase and unwise decision. So what did I do that night after that had happened? I read Proverbs for a little bit of wisdom. Fast forward to my late 20s, and I'm married. My wife had just cooked a great meal, and we're doing dishes at the sink. And I turned to her, and I had this brilliant idea to say to her, hey, you, you should use some of my mom's recipes. <laughs> that was an unwise statement. You bet I was reading Proverbs that night. After all, the purpose of Proverbs is for us, the reader, to become a little bit more wiser because the book is filled with wisdom, knowledge, insight for us. And I've often found that wisdom, it doesn't just come from those who are a little bit more tenured at life. Wisdom can come from a child. It could come from our observation of a colony of ants and their work ethic. It could come from meditating over the flow of a river. I mean, wisdom is everywhere. And so today, we're going to look at a powerful proverb, Proverbs 30, verses 1 through 9. 
And this is a proverb written by a man named Agur, and we don't know much about this man. Uh, he's not considered a hero of the faith like Ruth or Paul. I mean, you don't know a lot of people naming their kids after him nowadays, but we do know that God uses ordinary people to speak powerfully to us. And so my hope for today is that we might take the wisdom from this man, from these passages, and chart a new course in our life where we might have a deeper faith and a more intimate relationship with God. And so as we go through this text, I'm going to break it down into four sections. And after each section, I'm going to pose a question for us to think about, to meditate, and possibly even answer. So let's go ahead and jump in our text this morning. The sayings of Agur, son of Yaqay, an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel, I'm weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I'm only a brute, I'm not a man. I don't have human understanding. I've not learned wisdom, nor have I attained knowledge of the Holy One. I mean, who's gone up to heaven and who's come down and whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak and who's established all the ends of the earth? What's his name? And what's the name of his son? I mean, surely you know. Every word of God is flawless. He's a shield for those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and he'll prove you a liar. And two things I ask, he says of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. Our good friend starts by giving us a divine message. And he says that I'm weary, but I think I can prevail. Or another understanding of this would mean that I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. I'm done. I've hit my limits. I've hit my wall. And for whatever reason, whether he has past wounds or hurts or health issues, or maybe he's in exile, or maybe life is just falling apart, He's reached his max. He humbles himself. He's honest with God and just says, God, this is, this is where I'm at. I'm a brute. I'm half human. I'm less than human. And to top it all off, I'm ignorant. I haven't attained the knowledge of the Holy One. I often find we reach these places in life when we've just run life way too fast for way too long on our own strength without God's intervention or help at all. We've just kind of pushed him to the side. So I want to pose our first question this morning to you. When was the last time you were really honest with God? When was the last time you were really honest with God? And you might ask, why do we need to be honest with God? After all, he knows my thoughts. He knows what I'm going to do. And I'd say because our wounds, our brokenness, our pride, our exhaustion, all of that can build and we constantly need to recalibrate our lives so that God may restore us, to heal us, to free us, so that we might join Christ daily in the restoration of all things with his help. Because let's be honest, he knows our thoughts. He knows our patterns. He knows our heart, our wounds, our pride. He knows the difficulties we face at work and in school and in our marriages, in our friendships and in our families. And he wants us to just come to him and honestly say, Lord, this is where I'm at. 
And we need to do this constantly because just like Adam and Eve, we are so prone to hide and we are so quick to push those things down in the darkness. And when we confess, when we just share the things going on with us, we begin to pull them out of the darkness and actually into the light. John Ortberg wrote a great book. It's called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, which is a really great book if you think you're normal. And he goes on to say in, he, in his book, he says, all of us have something we're ashamed of. All of us have something or our past of painful decisions that we've made. And we just have this brokenness within us. And he goes on to say that from those decisions, those pains, those hurts, we have this sense of anxiety and depression. And when we feel like that, we have this feeling that we're just weak and we're vulnerable to people. We don't want to share those things. And he also says we have behavioral traits and patterns that we just can't break and we're just so sick of dealing with them. He ends by saying, every human being carries hurts or scars or wounds. And our tendency since the fall is to hide as if our life depends on it. He says, this is exactly wrong. Our life depends on getting found. There simply is no healing in hiding. There isn't. There is no healing in hiding. In fact, studies would show that when we are honest, when we're raw, when we share these things and self-disclose the things we're not excited about about ourselves, we actually experience physical gain, both, long, both long-term and short-term. It's innate in us to do this, and God's wired us this way. And so I wonder if this morning, maybe some of us are long overdue for a moment with God like this. Hashtag my wife, they stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't. Take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and I once in a while womanizer, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. that he's, I tell you, ever since he was a little bitty boy, sometimes talks to the Lord, and sometimes he yells at the Lord, and tonight he just happens to be yelling at him. Well, could you tell him to talk a little softer or whatever, because people got to get their sleep into it. Do you know what time it is? Come on. Now I'm calling you, Jesus. Talk to Sunday. You don't talk to Sunday tonight, it seems like. <laughs> but I can't... <laughs> 
Can you imagine if we prayed like that? All those people at Peachtree, bless their hearts. They pray loudly. Sonny Duvall, he just humbles himself before the Lord. Just an honest, raw conversation. I call you Jesus. You call me Sonny. This is where I'm at. I'm a sinner. I'm an occasional womanizer. Lord, this is, this is me. This is where I'm at. When was the last time you were honest with God? Our friend Agur jumps into the next section of our text in verse 4. And at first glance, we might just dismiss them, these questions, because they're rhetorical and they're fairly easy to answer. Bless you, by the way. After all, who's gone up to heaven? Whose, whose hands have gathered up the wind and whose waters in the cloak? All these different questions that he asks. I mean, the answer to each one of them is that no one has. I haven't. You haven't. He's speaking of the creative design and the uniqueness of God. And he's saying, he's wanting us to get to the point, no one but God has done or will do these things. It's just within his power, within his sovereignty. None of us know the deep, full, eternal truths of God. None of us know all the ways in which he works, all the creative ways in which he moves in this world. We want this side of heaven. That's just the reality. Yet we know that God is knowable and that he reveals his eternal truths and himself to us in moments in his word, within us, in others, and actually in creation. And we actually see these moments when we slow down and we actively seek them out. And I'd love to try to make this point using an illustration with my children. Coming from California, we, just, we don't deal with as many bugs as we do here in Georgia. That's just the reality. So my children were playing on our side yard one day, and my daughter begins to scream at the top of her lungs. And so I sprint out there, and I look at her, and I go, are you okay? What's going on? And she's pointing to this bee. And I look at the bee, and I go, oh, my word, I think that's a bumblebee. I haven't seen a bumblebee in a long time. However, what I realized was this wasn't a bumblebee. I mean, this thing began to burrow into our brick, and it began to burrow into our wood. So I looked it up, and apparently it's called a carpenter bee. My children call them big, fat laser bees. And so I, I called the pest guy. I said, hey, we've got big, fat laser bees at our house, and I don't know how to get rid of them. They're burrowing into our brick. So he comes out to our house, and he sees them burrowing into the brick. He goes, I've I've never seen them do that. I said, what's wrong with our bees? I mean, have they mutated? What's going on here? But in the midst of my children living in sheer terror of various bugs, they've actually began to ask more questions about God. They began to ask more questions about how God made these things. And where do we see God in the world? Essentially, they're asking similar questions to our friend in this proverb. I mean, who does all these things in the world? And I got to tell my daughter, well, this crazy bee is part of creation and he serves a purpose. And it's been fun to help answer their questions and I've been able to teach them various things. Just the other night, my daughter and I, I'm teaching her the Lord's Prayer and we get to the daily bread part. She goes, Dad, I love daily bread. <laughs> I said, I do too. I do too. Seminary didn't prepare me to answer a lot of their questions but they're beginning to form their understanding of who God is and where he's at in the world and how he moves within people, within others, and with creation. And I get to show them God's uniqueness and his eternal truths in very little ways because there's something about having children or having children around that causes us to slow down and pay attention to the things we normally wouldn't pay attention to. 
Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Sacred Rhythms, she goes on to say this. She says, God's will for us is generally for us to pursue that which gives us life and to turn away from the things that drain life from us and leave us debilitated. In fact, many of our smaller decisions and most of our significant decisions, even those that require us to choose between two equally good options, involve the inability to notice that which brings a sense of life and freedom to our most authentic self in God. She goes on to say, as we become practiced at recognizing the presence and activity of God, we're able to align ourselves more completely with what God is doing in any given moment, which is when life begins to get really, really exciting. And that is the truth, because these moments are all around us. They're with my children. They're in a conversation at a coffee shop. They're in a sunset. I mean, God is showing himself all the time to us, which leads me to my next question. Are you going slow enough to see what God is doing? Are you going slow enough to see what God is doing? Our friend takes a bit of a shift in the next few verses when he talks about God's word being flawless and that we're not to add to it or he'll rebuke us. And if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Barry Gaddard, our pastor of spiritual formation, gave a sermon. And within his sermon, he was talking about the Bible. And I think it's worth repeating what he said. He talked about that when we read the Bible sometimes, we often like to cut out parts and aspects of it that we're just not comfortable with. Parts of it we just don't like hearing. I mean, let's be honest. We don't get excited when we hear texts like Matthew 10:22 that you'll be hated by everybody because of me but he who stands firm in the end will be saved. Or Luke 6, 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting anything back. I mean, that's not my go-to verse in the morning on my mirror. It's just not. And although we don't add to the text necessarily, we can apply our 21st century lens to it and our culture and our context, wanting the Bible to say what we want it to say rather than letting the Bible to speak for itself. Our good friend, he affirms that the Bible is flawless, that it's perfect. He uses a predicate here, and when he uses this predicate, it's used elsewhere to describe the purification of metal. When you heat up metal and you burn away the dross, it just becomes more pure and more pure. And he's saying that this, our word, is perfect. There's nothing deceitful in this. There's nothing, nothing false in this. Before I took the call here at Peachtree, one of the aspects of it was the fact that I wouldn't be teaching all the time within our Sunday Belong community. In fact, part of it was to create a learn team that would rotate speaking. So we'd share it and load 50-50-50. And so within a few months, I gathered a team together of some amazing people, and they have begun to teach our Sunday Morning Belong community. They've taken the time to submerge themselves in, in the text. They've taken their time to pray, to give insight, to really study what's being said in our scripture. And I asked one of our leaders, I said, how, how has this impacted you on your journey with God? And this is what she had to say. She said, I think my time being on the Learn team has reinforced that the Bible is the main avenue God uses to speak to me. Prepping and digging in and reading passages that I've read many times has revealed new truths, new understandings that I've not experienced in my previous readings. 
Also, it's shown me the power of community when we vulnerably share experiences, insights, and things we don't understand in our groups. We all experience growth, growth in our understanding, growth in our relationships with each other and with God. Really powerful. And that's the way our belong communities are supposed to work. There's supposed to be a sense of community within it where we all take ownership. She's an amazing teacher, by the way. And the reality is their lives are being changed by the text as they come to know it better, Jesus better, and it's really challenged the way that they're thinking. In fact, Dillis Willard talks about this. He says, thoughts are the place where we, can, where we can and must change. There the light of God first begins to move upon us through the word of Christ, and there the divine spirit begins to direct our will to move more and more thoughts that can provide the basis for choosing to realign ourselves with God and his way. I've seen this play out right before me, and it's been oh so powerful. They've become teachers of the word because they first have become students of it, which leads me to my third question this morning. Are you a student of God's word? Are you a student of God's word, or have you left that to the professional Christians to tell you what it says? Are you a student of God's word? This proverb ends with an incredible and powerful prayer. He says in this prayer, two things you ask of me, Lord, before I die, please don't refuse me. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Please don't make me rich or poor, Lord. Just, just give me my daily, my daily bread. Powerful, powerful prayer. I mean, we could do a whole sermon on this particular section of this proverb. I mean, if, if we just throw our hands up in the air and say, I, we just don't regularly pray, pray like this. I don't wake up every morning going, Lord, just give me the bare minimum. Just don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Just give me the bare minimum. I mean, I'm prone to be praying, Lord, give me my daily bread. Give me my steak and potatoes. I mean, the minute I watch Fixer Upper, five minutes later, I'm wanting shiplap and I'm wanting an island in our kitchen. I mean, thanks, Joanne and Chip. That's just how we're wired. The point he's trying to make is he doesn't want anything to hinder his relationship with God. He doesn't want anything to affect his character. He doesn't want anything that would, that would build his pride. He doesn't want anything less than staying humble. In essence, he doesn't want anything or anybody to take the throne of his life other than God. Lord, keep me from temptation. And the best way I can illustrate this is in my own marriage. My wife and I had been married a couple years, and at this point in our marriage, I'd gone through a job that I was working 12 to 16 hours a day, and we just weren't having our connect points at home. I was going to work early and coming home late. And then you fast forward to another season where I was working multiple jobs and going to seminary, and we were just missing each other like ships in the night. And it just felt like there was a gap, a distance coming between her and I. And what we've realized more recently is that sometimes we are more prone to come home and rather than engage with one another, we'll hop right on social media, scroll through Instagram and Facebook, and we just, we're not having those conversations. There's times when we're just doing way too much to slow down and say, hey, how are you doing? Checking in with my wife and her checking in with me. And then those, those great moments where you get in an argument and you just don't want to humble yourself and say that you were wrong. 
See, all these things can lead to this distance, this gap, this hindrance of a deep, intimate relationship with one another, similar to what he's talking about here. And this leads me to my last question for us this morning. Is there anything that's come between you and God? Is there anything that's come between you and God? And it's been often said, and this is really a good measurement if anything's come between you, is this, how you spend your money and how you spend your time will point to what you worship. And what you worship, if it's other than God, will eventually come between you and him. That's just the way it works. I mean, let's be honest. It's hard to be honest with God. It takes work to become a student of his word. It's difficult to slow down to see God's movement in and through our lives and in the lives of others and in creation. And it's hard to just say, Lord, just give me my daily bread because we want more. We want those comforts. And answering these questions, they're not going to change us. After all, as I said, Proverbs were meant not for us to just hear, but to begin to practice and to live out in our daily lives. And if we truly, if we truly want to change and have this deep faith, this intimate relationship with him, it's going to require that we chart a new course so that we may have that deeper faith and that more intimate relationship with God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave those four questions on the screen for us to meditate on, to pray over, for some of us maybe even to answer. And afterwards, after a couple minutes or so, I'm going to come back up and pray for us. So take the time to really think through, meditate on these questions.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we just acknowledge to you this morning that we desperately need your guidance. We desperately need you in our lives. Father, would you help us to become students of your word? Father, may you help us slow down to see glimpses of your truths and your beauty all around us. Father, thank you for your word. God, in the moments, days, and weeks ahead, Lord, would you help us to remove all that brings us comfort, everything that's coming between you and us, so that we may know you more intimately, that we may have a richer and deep faith. So Father, would you lead us on a new course where you are on the throne of our lives, guiding us and leading us along the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stop. 